Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everyone. I am Nicolas Bornolis, president of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's corporate presentation series of 2024. In this series, company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We have today with us the senior management of uh, Euroseas. We have Mr. Aristides Peters, Chairman and CEO, and Mr. Anastasios Aslidis, Treasurer and CFO. Uh, Euroseas uh, is listed on NASDAQ under the symbol ESEA. Uh, Euroseas is active in the container shipping uh, segment and uh, controls currently a fleet of, owns a fleet of um, 19 uh, container ships. Uh, 12, uh, 12 of them are feeder container ships and seven are intermediate. And Euroseas has an order, another seven feeder container ships uh, that uh, are expected to be delivered within 2024. These are uh, new buildings. Um, in terms of logistics, to remind everybody, we have a presentation followed by Q&A. Uh, participants are welcome to submit your questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen anytime during the webinar, and um, uh, Aristides and Tassos will reply to them after their presentation. Uh, a reminder of the disclaimer that uh, please note this presentation is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. The webinar does not constitute uh, an offer to buy or sell securities. It is not an investment advice or advice of any kind and capital link bears no responsibility for the content. And uh, let's begin our discussion. I will turn the floor over to Aristides and uh, Tassos. And thank you for being with us. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for uh, participating in this uh, webinar. Thank you, Nico Bornozzi and team for organizing this uh, uh, event. Uh, we will follow a structure whereby Tassos will make a presentation of the company. And uh, afterwards, uh, we will be glad to ask uh, any question, to answer any questions that we may be asked. You can send your questions, as Nico said, uh, anytime during the presentation. Tasso, the floor is yours. Thank you, Aristide. Thanks, everybody, for, for attending. Thank you, Nico, for organizing. Let me start uh, by making a very quick introduction. I think Nico already did most of it. So I will be very brief. Uh, as Nico said, that uh, we are known as an operator of container ships. We have a fleet of 19 vessels on the water and seven under construction, focusing uh, mainly on the feeder and intermediate size sectors, the smaller container ships. Eurosys has been established in 2005, almost 20 years ago, 90 years ago by Aristides. Um, a family of whom has been in shipping for the last 150 years, so we have a long tradition and history behind us. We have a management and a board that also have a long history and involvement in shipping. All the executive team has uh, 20 and 30 years more of experience, and all our board members have uh, uh, are holding leading positions in their respective uh, fields and have long investment presence in shipping. 
we have we do our man the management of our ships through an affiliate Eurobulk, um, which is uh, which was established in 1995. It's very well respected. We believe in the industry for its efficient and safe operating track record. Where as a group, a vertical integrated group, we provide in-house most of the services a modern shipping company need. So that is a means of introduction of who we are and what we are doing. Let's start by looking at us and the industry. And there is no, and given the shipping is cyclical, there is no better way to start other than looking at where we are in the cycle. This slide shows uh, a 20 year history of rates and prices in shipping. And indeed it does prove that we are in a cyclical industry. We have seen we have uh, pretty good rates on the left part of the slide uh, about 20, 15 and 20 years ago. And more recently, in uh, during the pandemic years, you can see very clearly here that the industry recorded new highs for both rates and prices. What looks a spike in this chart is not really a spike. It indeed lasted two to three years during the pandemic years, 2021, 2020, 2021, <clears throat> 2022. So it made an effect on the sector. It allowed companies like us to be able to secure long-term charters. We were able to charter most of our fleet into two to three year long charters at high rates, ensuring great cash flows and profits for our company well into 2025. Also, that spike resulted in a series of new orders placed by various participants of the industry Opposite to what happened on the dry bulk and tanker sectors, in the container ship sector, the industrial players, but also independent owners like ours, placed quite a number of, of orders. The order book increased from um, a low level of 10% before the pandemic to, to almost 30%. And that really is going to shape the near-term future of the industry. These developments put in front of us some key challenges for the next year. For one thing is uh, that we are we have to be concerned now is when the industry will reach a new equilibrium, when that is, will be able to absorb the deliveries of the vessels that were placed on order. And as we'll, as I will try to elaborate in the next two or three slides, the timing of the equilibrium could be different for the smaller sectors, smaller size sectors that we operate versus the large container sectors. Also, another factor that um, uh, is now important uh, for shipping is the effect on the supply and operation and vi economic viability of the ships uh, of the new regulations that uh, uh, has been upon us, the greenhouse uh, gas emission regulations uh, that are part of the general effort by uh, the industry to decarbonize. All of these would be important factors in shaping up the equilibrium. Let me spend the next two or three slides elaborating a little bit more on the supply side. This slide here gives you a snapshot of the age profile of the, or, and, and the order book of the container ship uh, fleet, the total fleet. On the top left, there is the age profile of the fleet. And you can see that it's largely uniformly distributed Definitely between the ages of zero to 20, the fleet is uniformly distributed. 
the 20 plus age segment is a little bit less than the others. But if you look more carefully in these uh, bar charts and look at the bottom part of the bar, bar charts, you can see that the age profile of the smaller ships is tilted towards older vessels. That is a key point to make, and I will make it a little more clear in the following slide. On the top right, we can see the order book. As we men <clears throat> as I mentioned, it hit 30% sometime in 2023. It has come down to 25% as a ratio of the fleet to the fleet now. But indeed, there is significant order scheduled to hit the market in 2024, 11.4% and 6% in 2025 and so on. So we this is the challenge that the industry has to absorb these um, uh, deliveries that are coming in. This slide is sort of the same, but only for the feeder vessels, the 10 to 3,000, the 1,000 to 3,000 TEU uh, segment. And that makes even clear the point I made earlier that in this size segment where the majority of our vessels uh, operate, the, the fleet is rather old. There is a, a, a good 25, 24% of the fleet older than 20 years of age. At the same time, the overall order book is, is much smaller. There is a, a, only 8% expected to come into the market in 2024. So you can see immediately the dynamics if half of the 20 plus year, year old vessels don't survive the year and only eight come in, you can even have a fleet size reduction in this segment. The same is true for the intermediate uh, size segment. Again, here, two, the age profile is tilted towards older ships. The order book is even smaller. We have six vessels operating in this sector. So we expect to see, hopefully, an equilibrium point being hit earlier in that size segment uh, as well. So on the supply side, <clears throat> this is the situation, but that's half of the equation. The other half is demand. And uh, here, really what we care to um, understand is the growth of containerized trade. And as this chart here makes the point, this is quite linked and quite related to the economic development. This, is, uh, this chart shows the world GDP growth and uh, puts it next to the uh, containerized trade growth. And you can see, at least visually, there is a pretty high degree of correlation uh, between the two. But the size of the containerized trade is not alone the factor that determines demand for container ships. There are other factors. An important one is the routes over which the trade takes place. So the, the distances are very important. Also very important is various congestion points or throughput limitations. And this factor has been quite important during the last four to five years. It's important right now. I mean, during the pandemic, for example, there were significant poor congestions which tied up ships and increased demand for ships. Uh, right now, there is a, there are certain canal throughput constraints in Panama Canal in particular, uh, when there are, um, restrictions due to the shortage of uh, fresh water. And also there are uh, additional factors like the hostilities in the Red Sea create a certain degree of additional demand because ships divert, avoid that region and take longer, longer routes. So this plus 
effects that had to do with the speed at which ships are running also affect demand. For example, slow steaming, uh, which could be a result of uh, running slower to economize on fuel or running slower to reduce uh, green greenhouse gas, gas, gas emissions definitely affect the uh, availability of uh, ships and, the, and thus increase the demand for more ships. So all of this will shape our industry and create a quite uncertain back, uh, landscape for 2024 and 2025. <clears throat> thus, summarizing the demand size picture, uh, we have to balance, as I said, the capacity increases that are expected because of the of the order book with the um, um, the additional factors that uh, could for the, in the in, in the interim result in higher demand for shipping um, in general in 2024 we expect to see softening the container freight and charter markets again as i mentioned because of the um, of the increased deliveries, especially when or after the Panama Canal and the Red Sea situations are resolved. While these situations are in evolution, while there is restrictions in Panama Canal or hostilities in the Red Sea, we expect to see, we have seen, and we probably expect to see the decline in rates that uh, happened in the latter part of 2023 being arrested. In fact, rates have increased by about 10% over the last month. 2025 is when we expect to see a broader equilibrium in the markets, especially if significant number of ships um, get scrapped in 2024, or if demand uh, remains resilient in 2025, and new orders from this point on are less, are players are more disciplined in placing new orders, all this could result in making 2025 the equilibrium year for the broader fleet. But as I mentioned earlier, we expect and we hope to see equilibrium in our segment, in our size segments being reached earlier. Whether the reaching earlier this equilibrium and uh, reaching earlier turning point rates is something that will happen is yet to be seen. So within, within this market background, let's now turn back and see how we have positioned Eurosys. This is our 19 vessel fleet that we have in the, currently on the water. Uh, 12 of them, as I mentioned in the beginning, are feeder ships. The seven of them are intermediate sized container ships. This is our new building vessels. All of them are feeders for 2800 TEU and 3 TEU. And this here is how our fleet is employed. This is the, the contract snapshot, the, the chartering profile, the current chartering profile of our fleet. It is important to notice that in 2024, more than 70% of our available days are already contracted at an average rate in excess of $30,000 per day. And in 2025, more or about 23% of our fleet of our available days are contracted at an average rate of almost $34,000 per day. Clearly, uh, what we're working on is chartering out the remaining of our new buildings and of course, chartering the 
the, the vessels of our existing fleet as they become open. It is let's now look a little bit at our financials and uh, <clears throat> let me start by looking at our nine month figures that for 2020 for 2023 that have been uh, uh, that are already public. Um, the first nine months of 2023 were very prof profitable for our group. We had we recorded total net revenues of about 140 million. We had adjusted net income of almost 79 million, which translated to $11.3 per share. We had EBITDA in excess of 90 million, and we earn on average almost $30,000 per, per day per vessel. All of this allowed us to give a dollar and 50 cents per share dividends to our shareholders, and in addition, allowed us to spend more than $3 million to purchase back about 160,000 shares of our stock, a little more than 2% of our outstanding shares. Based on that and based on the contract contracted picture I saw you earlier, 2024 starts from a very good point. Although rates are back down to <clears throat> near pandemic, uh, pre-pandemic levels, our contracted percentage of the fleet is shielding us from that low market environment and will allow us to fund our dividend, continue funding our dividend, continue funding the equity portion of our new building program, and still have considerable liquidity available for further investments if opportunities, investment opportunities appear in front of us. To underline the point that we have sufficient cash available, this chart shows you our projected cash flow break even for the next 12 months, which as you can see from the last bar at the, at the right, <clears throat> is around $14,500 per day per vessel. As I showed in the previous slide, we have contracted, our contracted uh, employment is in excess of $30,000 uh, per day. So you can appreciate that there is significant margin there uh, to fund all of those um, investments and uh, dividends and new building programs that I mentioned in the previous slide. A quick comment on our balance sheet, where I would like to highlight really the low leverage that we have in, in our group. Uh, as of the end of last year, we had about 131 million of debt, which represents a loan to value ratio of 49% if we use the charter free values of our ships and 37% if we use the charter adjusted values of our fleet. Not only that, just the scrap value of our existing fleet, the 19 ships that we have on the water is more than the current debt that we have outstanding. So I cannot underline enough that we're a low levered company right now. Of course, we are going to assume additional debt to fund the remaining of our new building program, the seven vessels that are that we are going to take delivery in 2024. We are targeting a 50 to 55 to 60 percent debt lever on the basis of the contracted prices of that fleet. But overall, that new debt will still allow us to maintain a leverage ratio 
of about 50%. So a low leverage balance it going forward. Then we come to say why all of this make, should make you think about Eurosys and investing in us. I can think of several reasons. I mean, for one thing, we have insulated ourselves by the current market environment. So 2024 should be comparably profitable to 2022 and 2023. And those two years were quite profitable. And also we, because of our conservative finance, we have minimized all kinds of risks and increased our flexibility to fund both our investments and pursue new ones. We do have a strategy and we have the capacity to grow and modernize the company. Uh, we have built in organic growth through the new building program that, that I mentioned. It was a nine vessel new building pro program. Two vessels were delivered in 2023 and seven we expect to take delivery uh, this year. Total contracted price for all the for the entire program was three hundred and sixty million. So a significant investment uh, on behalf of our shareholders. Given that uh, liquidity flexibility that we have, we we continue to be alert and continuously evaluating and targeting selective acquisition that that would be accretive to our balance and uh, to our earnings. Within all this, we have a very conscious and focused strategy to reward our shareholders. We have instituted two years ago a dividend that currently pays at today's price about 6% annual yield. And we have, as I mentioned, a share purchase program. All of these reasons are important, but one more important reason is that we still trade at 60% of our net asset value. That represents a significant, not only significant discount, but represents a significant appreciation potential. And that, and that is despite the fact that our share price has increased more than 80% over the last 12 months. So with that, I would like to stop my remarks in presenting a, a quick overview of the company and market. And Aristides, should we open the floor for questions and try to answer some questions? Yes, let's see what questions we have received in the Q&A. Uh, part here. Uh, I see. I see one question here saying you definitely conclude the charters at great rates over the last two or three years, as the market has declined significantly. Have you been approached by your charters renegotiating rates or asking for accommodations? Well, uh, indeed, uh, we have had uh, one case where we had one of our charters default uh, on a charter that we had. It was the only fixture that we had done with uh, a small charterer, and uh, he defaulted, and we are in uh, litigation with him, uh, uh, and we'll see what will happen after that. The remaining of the charters are all top-class uh, charters. Uh, all these uh, first-class people, they, they have accumulated significant uh, earnings and profits over the years, so they are in a very strong situation. I don't expect us to be facing any problems from these uh, major charters uh, going forward, even if the market uh, deteriorates further. There is the capacity there, obviously, for them.
to, to continue paying us. So I'm not really worried about that. I see another question here saying that from your chartering slide, it is clear that the source of uncertainty is the chartering of your new building vessels. I understand that the next one coming out of yard shortly has been chartered, but what do you believe are the prospects for the rest? Do you expect them to earn any premium over ships of previous vintages? Well, indeed, uh, as, as Tasso said, uh, we have covered 70% uh, of our operating days uh, for 2024 uh, at uh, rates in excess of $30,000 a day. Uh, the ships that open up this year, but also the new buildings that are about 15% of our operating days still open uh, that come from the new builds uh, are not yet chartered and they will not be chartered as I think at these $30,000 a day rates. They will be chartered at lower rates. The first new building that is being delivered this year, the 2,800 TU vessel, uh, has just been fixed at $17,000 a day for eight to 10 months. This is the type of level that I expect to be seeing in today's market. Of course, everything will depend on how the markets develop. And uh, Tassos explained that very well that although we are generally we were generally quite bearish uh, suddenly this stuff that is happening in the red sea uh, is creating inefficiencies which always help and therefore charter rates have started rising but uh, we will be fixing the ships the new ships will be very very easy to fix uh, at the market rate what the market rate is depends to be seen today for the 2,800, it's uh, $17,000 per day. If it was a conventional ship, it would have been around uh, $12,000 a day. So we do get a premium of four to $5,000 a day for the modern vessels, which premium comes, why? It comes because they consume much less fuel than the older generation of vessels. This is the main attraction. There are other attractions. The, the fact that we have AMPs on board the vessels, which means that, uh, that at ports we can use electricity from the ports where available. Uh, they, are, they can take more containers at a lower depth uh, draft. So, so there are other advantages, but the main advantage is you consume 40% less fuel approximately at the speeds that we are trading today. Another question here is that uh, as a shareholder, it has been great to see that some of the cash that the company accumulated has been distributed as dividends or used to purchase back stock. Yes, indeed. Can you share with us what is the strategy for dividends going forward, and especially in light of a weaker market expected? Well. Uh, uh, we do definitely expect uh, the dividends to continue. Um, our strategy has been always to, to uh, return money to our shareholders. We did it since the inception of the company back in 2007 uh, for eight years continuously till the markets really collapsed and we weren't able to continue that. 
we started this policy again uh, as the markets improved in early 2022. So we've done that for two years now, uh, offering 50, 50 cents dividend. Uh, it's not a lot of uh, our current earnings. It's a, it's a level that we can uh, continue supporting even, even with much lower earnings. It, it only represents about 15% of the earnings that we have been having the last few months. Uh, I, I'm very confident that dividends will continue. Uh, we think that we should be paying a dividend which is higher than what somebody can take from a bond or uh, from a safe bond or, or from having his money as cash. So uh, I'm pretty sure that the dividend yield of around 7% is something that we should be able to continue giving, you know, uh, going out in the future as well. Uh, and certainly very easily for the next couple of years. Um, Another question, as rates declined, prices for second-hand vessels have or will decline too. What is Euros' strategy regarding buying second-hand vessels? Will you take the risk to invest in older ships? Well, there's two questions really here. Of course, prices have declined and are continuing to decline, and they are still a, a bit above historical average uh, values. Uh, of course, we have a very significant uh, cash uh, holding right now, so we are waiting to find opportunities to invest the extra liquidity we have. Uh, so we, if we do find opportunities that are attractive, we will be buying more ships. Uh, we we are easily capable of handling technically older ships, but older ships today uh, have uh, various issues uh, regarding the CII and the fuel consumption that they have, so they are not a long-term proposal. Uh, we evaluate the markets continuously, and when we see projects that we expect to yield a return higher than 15% on our equity, we usually look at them in more detail. We will be investing more when the right ship uh, appears. I can't say more. Um, another question here is, uh, what are the risks of having to renegotiate, like lower for longer? There's been one charter that uh, asked us that question, Indeed, uh, one of our charters did ask that question. Uh, we replied with what we felt was a good deal for us. Uh, they didn't like what we offered, so we continued uh, as previously. Um, we have strong charters. We will only do something differently if it's for the benefit of our shareholders in the longer term. We had uh, one charter regime. I'm saying this because this is something that we did about uh, five or six months ago, who wanted to terminate the charter. And uh, we could find a better charter uh, in the market. We agreed to terminate that charter, and we got the better charter in the market. We, we can do, we, we feel very 
confidence that uh, whatever we need to do is for the benefit of the shareholders. Another question is, uh, when is the usual time to recharter the ships? I.e., is there a specific time frame, first, second, or third quarter? We charter the ships uh, very close to the period where they are expected to become open. So usually you, we can we fix a ship that comes open next month, this month. Uh, it's not a, a period now where you can charter for the ship that will open in three months' time or six months' time. The market is really acting more uh, on, on, on spot vessels, and that's what's going to continue, I think, for the next few months. Um, can you give us an example of the names of your significant charters? Maersk, CMA, Zim, Asiat Shipping, uh, Hapagloid, RCL, we talk to all the major charters uh, in the market. We've got great relationships. And uh, yeah, that's it. Are you currently avoiding the Suez Canal? Do you foresee any change in insurance costs going forward due to the Middle East issues? How much do you pay per day for insurance now? Um, we have been going through Suez Canal. The answer up to now is yes. We monitor the situation on a daily basis. Uh, we haven't had many ships, to be honest, uh, going through the Suez Canal the last month, which has been the dangerous month. If the charters want to do it, uh, we will probably do it. They will take the extra insurance cost to do it. Um, we will see. I think that the situation will improve, if I, if I may make a comment here. Uh, I, I anticipate that with all this uh, force that uh, the Western world has sent in the area, uh, we will not have many incidents. But the truth is that up to now, we have had a couple of instances. Luckily, there has been no loss of life, which is the most important thing. Uh, and everything else is really insurable. Um, next question is, when, why would you use feeder or smaller 4,200, 7,500 TEU vessels versus 10 or 15,000 TEUs? Well, the, the, the answer here is that the smaller vessels serve different markets, right? Uh, the big uh, transatlantic trips and transpacific trips and from one, uh, one uh, ocean to the other are usually served by, higher, uh, by bigger ships, 10 and 15 and 20 and 24,000 EU ships. Uh, but for smaller ports where you cannot fit the big uh, vessels, uh, for smaller distances, uh, for areas where there's not too much demand for so many container ships, you need to have the smaller ships and you will continue using the smaller ships. The, the, they will not uh, disappear. There is very, very many ports that cannot fit the bigger ships. 
Another question, where are and how are rates today versus before the Gaza war? Well, if you just look at the context index, uh, the, the, yeah, it has ra uh, risen by 10% from December to where we are today, uh, from end of December to where we are today. Uh, next question is, what is the typical age to scrap ships? I understand they last longer than dry bulk or crude. Technically, the ships can last for quite some time, and the average scrapping age for container ships has been around 25 years, uh, depending on the period uh, of time where we are. In, in bad markets, you scrap younger ships, so the average scrapping age may go down even up to 20 years old. In good markets, you see the average scrapping age going up, uh, up to 28 years old. So now this is changing a little bit because of the regulations concerning uh, the environmental uh, issues. Now with the CII requirement, uh, that might make ships obsolete sooner. So we might see the scrapping, the average scrapping age go down going forward. Another question. How available is LNG ammonia at the various ports? Not available at all. Uh, ammonia nearly nowhere. LNG in very few ports in the world today. The, the adoption of these fuels is going to be very gradual, late, and will start with bigger vessels that go to the bigger ports. The smaller ships will, will, will be followers in that area. Another question, charters at 17,000 versus costs of 14,000 reduces your margin significantly. So can you maintain uh, your dividend? Um, even at a charter of 17,000 versus a cost of 14,000, one can uh, really maintain his dividend. Uh, as, you, as you see here, this type of dividend that we are giving, which we know is a low dividend, for the very good years that we have had in 22 and 23. But we think that the shipping business, the business we are in provides an overall return on average of at least 15% return on equity. We want to be returning close to half of that uh, to our shareholders and keeping the rest for growth. So I think that we will be able to uh, deep in our earnings so that we can keep the dividend if the market is low uh, and uh, continue paying the dividend. From all the shipping companies in the Capital Link platform, Eurosys is the only one to use the EBTIA term, the least. In our strategy, this is excellent and unique. How do you explain that in your strategy going forward, five, seven years from now, 29, 2030. Thank you. I don't really get, <laughs> get the question. I think it's a compliment, but I'm not sure. Um, but uh, the renewal that we are doing in our fleet with these uh, nine modern vessels, I think is a first step towards reaching 20, 28, 29 and 2030, as you say. We have a huge uh, capital buffer that will allow us to invest more 
when we think that the returns are there or will be there. So we are very confident looking forward. I think I see if I can uh, I cannot hear. I believe the question is that in a cyclical industry like ours, using the the EBITDA to multiple to value the companies might not be as reliable or as easy to do as in other industries. We indeed focus a lot more in our presentations in using NAV as a, as a yardstick to underline it or to indicate uh, what our value is. And I believe this is what the uh, the, the person who, who placed the question wanted to, to, to underline. Okay, true. The, um, next question, do you expect reduced shipping from onshoring being promoted today? I think this there is this is issue. Moving the production of goods near the consumption areas, basically eliminating the shipping part of it uh, to control better the supply chain situation. Um, I don't know yet to what extent that has made an, an influence, but of course, if a lot of production comes from China or the, from the Far East to Mexico, so it would travel over land routes to the United States as opposed to shipping routes. But this trend, I don't think it has taken a big hold yet. I mean, it's obviously happened to some extent, but um, uh, clearly it would have an effect if there is onshoring. No, um, there is this. Uh, there is definitely this uh, deglobalization case that is happening because of the of global politics. It doesn't make economic sense, and I don't think that at the end of the day uh, it will prevail. I think it's more uh, today, you know, this period of time because of the geopolitics that uh, it is being promoted. But as it doesn't make economic sense, I don't think that it will prevail at the end. Um, next question, running around Africa would increase the need for ships by how many? I can't tell you the exact number of ships that uh, it will uh, in increase the need, but it is quite substantial. Uh, and we are seeing how it is already affecting uh, freight costs uh, primarily, which have doubled overall, but charter rates as well that are already increasing. Why to keep a dividend that high instead of using those money to pay back the debt or buying newer ships? Well, I, I, it's not high. Paying fifteen percent of your earnings as a dividend is 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 extremely low, uh, but uh, it still uh, is. You know, with the increase of our share lately, is a six percent return to our shareholders. It used to be more than seven percent when our share price was lower. We think that uh, our shareholders. Uh, deserve to have uh, some payback in form of dividends, which, as I said previously, is is more than having the money in the bank. And I think because... we, do a, we, we do everything. We do a balance strategy. We pay dividends, we repurchase shares, we invest, we try to balance all of our options. So, and the final question that I see here is, do you expect any of the current fleet to have below average ratings DE when calculating the CII rating? 
Well, in 2023, there was one, only one of our vessels that was rated E. Uh, it is uh, the motor vessel Marcos, uh, which uh, is uh, now programmed for uh, its scheduled dry dock. We will be replacing the propeller. We will be replacing, uh, changing the bulbous bow. We'll, we will be painting it with uh, uh, silicon paints and affecting some other changes. Uh, and this will uh, improve its fuel consumption, we believe, by around 20%. And thus, the vessel will go down to CII rating C. So, uh, this is something obviously that we monitor very carefully uh, because it is becoming important and it is probably one of the reasons why you might see scrapping ship, ships younger uh, than before, as I all, already said. Uh, so this is something we continue to follow. For the next couple of years, we feel that all our ships at least will be able to trade. Uh, technically and satisfying the CII requirements. I think this completes the questions that we had. There were quite a few. I hope we've answered them as clearly as possible. Uh, I want to close this uh, uh, session here, uh, thanking you for listening to us, confirming that uh, we look forward uh, to what's coming the next couple of years with optimism and uh, we should get the opportunity to continue growing the company and returning money to shareholders. Let me add thank my you. thanks as well to Aristides' thanks and Nikos as well for organizing all this. Thank well, you, Nick. My, my turn now to close and thank you both. Thank our participants, first of all, and uh, of course, Tassos and Aristides. I think you got an avalanche of questions, uh, which is indicative of the interest uh, in the sector and, of course, in uh, in Euroseas. So with that, thank you to everybody. Uh, just to remind you that this webinar will be available also for access upon demand on our website, capitallinkwebinars.com, and also on Capital Link's YouTube channel. And with this, thank you, and uh, have a great rest of the day to everybody. Thank you, Nico. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you, Nico. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.